Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. Fine, I'll like put the prices on there that nobody's going to buy. And they did. I think people wanted an option of, I know I don't need somebody every single month. I have a few questions and I just want to sit down and run through them with somebody. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. The idea of narrowing in on your target market is anathema to many CPAs. The temptation to be available to anyone who needs tax and accounting is strong. But honing in on a segment of the marketplace makes your business so much easier to run. Here today to talk with me about her own experience getting to know her custom-built market slice is my guest, Erica Goody. Almost two years ago, Erica and I connected because she had left her corporate career heading up financial forecasting at Walgreens headquarters. And after having two kids and accidentally starting an accounting practice, she reached out asking for help and insights on building a practice the strategic way rather than having to go back years later to fix problems at the foundation level. Notably, she wasn't in a hurry, and it was more important to build the right thing slowly and purposefully so that it would be a business that provided sustainable income without sacrificing time with her little kids. So we dug in and built the path on which she is now cruising. Erica, welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Because this is now your third time on. Oh my gosh. I know. You're going to kick me out of here at some point. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll put links in the show notes to the previous two if folks want to go back and listen. So let's do a couple rapid fire questions here just to set the stage and give listeners a sense of where your business is now and where it was a couple of years ago, just so that at a high level, um, we have a sense of the journey that you've been on. So give us a sense of your business right now. How many clients do you have and what are your services like? Sure. So right now I probably have five solid monthly virtual CFO level clients. I also have kind of a running revolving door of strategy session clients where I only see them one time or maybe once once every few quarters and we're working together. But my solid base is a handful of like maybe five to six clients versus I think when we first met, I was very small, just starting off with just uh, one or two main consistent clients. Okay. So for listeners and a bit of perspective, we call fractional CFO. It, it encapsulates a much broader range than the like the traditional sort of $60,000 a year fractional CFO, if you will. So can you give listeners a sense of the range of your prices and what's included 
for that? Sure. So I have clients anywhere that are paying me $800 a month to up to $4,000 a month. And that varies a based on their size and scope and complexity. As businesses grow, they just naturally get more complex. And then um, also the services that they're looking for. I have some clients who just want monthly financials. They just want to meet with some somebody every month. I have other clients that want me to do all of their client billing, all of their bill payments, follow up on their outstanding AR. And so it really runs the gamut and the pricing adjusts based on size and scope and really just service, what they're looking for in service. And as that changes, as their business grows. You're, I think you have a smaller level CFO service, if you will, that you call mini CFO. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you tell listeners a little bit about that? Because I don't think that most other people would have either heard of it or thought of it, or maybe they think it's not fair game. So can you talk about what that is? Yeah, it's it's kind of my middle ground because I tend to, companies tend to come to me when they're reaching their tipping point. And it's usually between two hundred to $300,000 in revenue. And it's usually a solopreneur or somebody who's just wearing all of the hats. And so they come to me in a scramble because they need help really with their accounting, which I'm able to do. But what we quickly learn is what they want, not necessarily what they walked in knowing that they needed. What they want is they want future um, insight and they want to look forward and they want to know what's going to happen next and what they need to plan for. And I don't think at that revenue level, that's not something that anybody's ever heard of necessarily or considered, or they don't know what that looks like and what working together looks like. And so as opposed to jumping both in price and scope to that virtual CFO level um, immediately when they need that, that mini CFO level is a little bit of a taste of what that could be. And the pricing is more conducive to than making this huge, you know, couple thousand dollar jump into that big boat of CFO level services. And so that mini CFO is really kind of like a transitional time where they get to start seeing, you know, six months of cash flow forecasting. We start meeting on a monthly basis. We start talking more strategic and coaching than um, either back when it was just an accountant level and it was just here your financial statements every month. Let me know if you have any questions. Or And it's less than jumping all the way to the CFO level where we're really looking at strategic um, financial decisions for the next 12, 24, 36 months and what product lines that revenue is going to come from. And so it's a little bit of working towards really being a high-level CEO in their business, but it takes them down that path slowly and gradually. Okay, great. I want to come back to the forecasting piece in a minute, but let's just go back to where you were when you started um, a couple of years ago when you were like, I know I want to grow this thing, but I'm not in a hurry and I'm not sure what it can or should look like. So if you, to the extent you can remember a couple of years back, where was your head around what you thought was possible to create and how you thought you would create it? It wasn't until you just asked that question. I haven't thought that far back. And I remembered exactly something you told me two years ago now. I remember being in a place. So my corporate background was like finance director, Fortune 50. It, I mean, I was overseeing $2 billion of budget at one point. And at some point, you know, I, I left that career 
And I started my own business. And what it looked like, what I started at home was much more bookkeeping. And as I started working with you, I remember you said something where I was like, well, I can't charge that much for XYZ. I don't know that I'm capable of that. I remember you chuckling in good nature and it was so eye-opening. You were like, you can handle a Fortune 50 business. Why are you only only limiting yourself to such a little playing field in your own business? And it, it wasn't until you said that that I was so like it was all perspective. Had I been in my corporate career, I would have felt very capable in working with somebody who was hundreds of millions of dollars. And coming out on my own, I was just playing so much smaller and so much more reserved and almost forgot what I was capable in a previous life. Okay. So one of the first things that I recall doing is figuring out what you wanted to create and what was possible to create. And I'm wondering what you remember of that experience around trying to hone in on a certain segment of the market. I remember feeling just really overwhelmed because I think where you maybe, where you, Geraldine, work with a lot of people who are unraveling something that has already been built, I think I was coming at it from a different like the opposite perspective where I was like literally building from the ground up nothing. And I, there was nothing to unravel. But in while some people would be like, well, that's a great position to be in. It is, but I didn't have the experience and the breadth of niche experience to be like, well, I like this and I don't like that. And I'm good at this and I'm not good at that from an industry standpoint. And so the idea of niching into a target market was so overwhelming because I felt like I didn't know enough. And it was almost like, it was almost like guessing. And I think I so badly wanted you to just give me the roadmap so that I could walk down it. What ha- needed to happen was I needed to decide what that was for myself. And it wasn't something you were going to tell me. You could definitely help me make that path for myself, but it wasn't something that you were like, you should do this, Erica. And I think it was probably the first time in my life where somebody was like, you should do, where somebody wasn't able to tell me, you should do this, Erica. And I so desperately just wanted somebody to tell me. Yeah, that makes sense. And I've I've come across this before where I think that CPAs and accountants are conditioned to, are, are used to being, you know, given guidance for how things are done. And in the world of niching, you know, there is no there is no manual. It's really you get to create and make your own, which can be disarming for people who are like, I need I need some more boundaries in that. So give listeners a sense of, you know, what your sort of first level of niching down or isolating your slice of the market looked like. What kind of business owner was it? What level were they at? Like that. Well, I don't know if you remember this. I remember we had a meeting, I think it was on a right before the weekend, maybe a Thursday or a Friday. And we had talked about a specific niche and I won't say it here because I won't throw it under the bus. And I was like, well, I think I, I think I want to do that. And you said, okay, go and go explore it. Go use this weekend, go explore, dig into things, listen to some podcasts. And I did that over the weekend. <laughs> and I think I texted you or put it in a Slack on, on Monday. And I was like, I can't. I want to rip my ears out when I listen to podcasts in that industry. <laughs> and, and, but like, I needed to go, I needed to get there. And I think I was even so uncomfortable with the fact of like choosing the wrong thing that once I finally started exploring just anything, it could have been anything. I just started exploring. It was an easy yes or no. Like I knew in my gut and it was at that point where I knew in my gut I wanted to help 
women business owners. It was just, it's always been a passion of mine. And it was one of those things where I don't know why I was avoiding it. it it's been in my head forever. I've had a passion for for supporting women in business since I left my corporate career. And I don't know, I don't know why it was so, I was dead set on avoiding it or finding something else. And after that weekend, it was so obvious that that was where I needed to run towards and quickly. And, um, and that's what we ultimately landed on. And I, I still feel like it's probably a little vague. And that was a year ago that we decided that. See, I say we, like I can't even make my own decision, Geraldine. Um, <laughs> I'm hearing myself say that. But it was the giving myself permission to choose something and learning more about it and going into it. And maybe it wasn't the perfect niche. Maybe it wasn't so clearly defined that I wanted it to, but it was step one of it. And I think giving my per myself permission to have a step one was was a huge kind of groundbreaking point in my business for me. And it gave me something to aim at. So once you stepped into women business owners, what did you find? And was there anything that made you go, okay, it turns out there's all kinds of women business owners. I want these types, but not those types. And I want these characteristics, but not those characteristics. How did you sort of get any narrower from there? Yeah, actually. And that happened. And I didn't think that was going to happen. Like, I didn't know how that was going to happen because I had never done it before. And just putting myself out there in such a broad step one attracted, like you said, all different kinds of female business owners. And so I would have either discovery calls or strategy sessions where I would start meeting people that either like my heart sung for or I was like, oh, your business is not where my expertise lies. For example, I had a discovery call and a woman owned a franchise for shave ice trucks. And so these trucks, like she owned a few of them. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. But as we started talking, she was like, well, the funny thing about the business is we're driving all through different counties selling product. So we have to get a hold of every sales tax domain in every county and every town that our trucks drive to. And then a line sales tax on top of that. And I was like, oh, I just learned something that wasn't my expertise and you're not my ideal client. <laughs> and it wasn't something I would have like predicted until I met that person. And I was like, oh, that's a no for me. Sales tax is not my, it doesn't make my heart sing. I'm not an expert at it. I would have to do a lot of legwork to really understand a mobile business like that. And so it was kind of examples like those where I would meet women and be like, oh, that's a no. Or, oh my gosh, that's a yes. I didn't even know that kind of business existed. And I can totally help you because you're right up my alley. And so it's just having conversations, but those conversations never would have happened unless I put myself out in market with my step one of like women entrepreneurs. So give us some examples of women business owners who came to you and you thought, oh yeah, this totally is up my alley. Yeah, it's been so interesting. Like who who I've met. And um, most recently, I met somebody, uh, we actually had a strategy session. She owns a live online homeschooling platform. I like, A, she did this before the pandemic even hit. So I met her and I was like, oh my gosh, your industry is blowing up. This is fantastic. You're such, you're poised for growth, uh, even without trying at this point. And talking with her, that was that was a, an example of an industry that a I probably didn't even think of before that, 
Um, and it's definitely more service-based and just talking with her and understanding her business model. It was so, it, it was, it was one that made my heart sing. So what people tend to find as they focus in and their niche gets narrower and their position in the marketplace gets tighter is they start to see the pattern in businesses that are similar to each other. And they start to get insights about how certain kinds of businesses can do things better compared to when you just have onesie twosies all over the place. So to what extent are you starting to see patterns in the kinds of business owners that you help? They tend to be service-based. They all tend, I'm always interested to see when they find me, like at what revenue point do they find me? Because I have a presumption that somebody can't afford me or doesn't need me until they're at $300,000 of revenue, for example. But in reality, people are coming to me way sooner than I would expect. And they're so aware that they're in need of help and that the help I'm able to provide is so valuable to them that they're willing to pay for the help where I would have previously been like, oh, they're out of, they're probably out of my, my market because their revenue is below $200,000. When really I'm finding that's probably where I bring a lot of value because they're right at the point of just needing somebody to walk with them. Things are turning, things are turning quickly and it's where we can come together and similar to my own journey, as opposed to going down the wrong path and making mistakes, building it up correctly from the get-go. Okay, great. And is there a top end at which you feel like people sort of graduate off of your services and need a higher power regional firm or something like that, where you're like, you know what, I can't handle you. You've gotten so big. I'm so awesome. You've gotten so big. I can't handle you anymore. Yeah, I'm sure there is. And it probably is dependent on the services. So um, I have clients and, you know, the multi-million dollar revenue range that are that are startups and growing quickly. And I could see where any business would grow and need to start. And I would make the recommendation that you need an internal, like you need to start building up your internal accounting and finance departments. That would be my my recommendation is maybe you don't even have to go to a, a regional firm. Maybe you hire an employee to do XYZ of what I'm doing because you need somebody internal who's going to oversee this for you. But I think what that also offers is as somebody could outgrow me, it allows me to niche into my skills. Whereas maybe I don't have to be the doer of everything in that business from a finance side. I get to hone in on my FP&A, my financial planning and analysis background, where I just get to step in and oversee their three-year long-term projections of how their business is going to grow over the next three years. And so I think I have capability to, to stay with a company as they grow, just in a different facet. So let's talk about niching into your skills as somebody potentially cycles off. It, it opens up a space for you to take somebody who's even more closely aligned with your position. So say a little bit more about niching into your skills, you know, overseeing three-year long-term projections. Who would that business owner be? Like, where are they in their journey? Who can you imagine that being for? It's probably a, definitely a million-plus dollar company, uh -huh. um, maybe multi-million dollar, where you start getting into, you've stood something up, you've proved it, you've scaled it at some point to get you to a million. And at that point, 
you want a little bit more strategic forward sight, especially if you have an exit strategy in mind. If you're thinking, well, in three years, I'm going to, I want to sell this to, you know, a VC, then I need to make a seven, $10 million top line. How do we get there? And that question, how do we get there is, is like, no pun intended, the million dollar question of how can I build that out? And it's really, getting down to the nitty gritty of like, well, I can show you how you're going to make 7 million in revenue in two years, but here's all the factors and the KPIs that you have, that you have to operationally do to make that happen. And at which point it becomes a really, it becomes a conversation where I'm going to tell you how you get there, but you tell me if that's reasonable or not. And they know in their heart what it's going to take to get there. We can do or we can't do. Or we can do it and it's going to take us increasing our team size by double and that's going to hit on profit. And so we start having all these big conversations of if we want to get to point A, we have to do X, Y, Z, but X, Y, Z is going to cost A, B, C. And we start adding all of these different factors and it becomes a really big strategic three-year view of how to get there. I want to come back to pricing a little bit and strategy sessions because you've mentioned a couple times that you've put strategy sessions out there and people took you up on it, which came as something of a surprise. So, And I don't think that many or most accountants or CPAs sort of, if you will, sell this idea of a strategy session. They're more likely to have a one-hour meeting where they give away tons of valuable advice and hope that the prospect will simply come on as a client. But what you're doing is saying one hour, one topic, 500 bucks, let's sit down. So can you talk about how that works for you? Who comes to you? What kinds of questions they ask? What was surprising about that? And so on. Yeah, I was surprised when we kind of came up with those prices and those ideas. I admittedly was probably trying to appease you a little bit like, oh, Geraldine says I should put this on my website. Like, (laughs) okay. And I think I fought you on price a lot. I think we started out, so I, I have two strategy sessions that I do. One is a one hour and another is like a three to four hour one. And I want, I think if I remember, you might remember too, we originally priced it at like 300 and 800. And I was like, this is what I'm comfortable with, Geraldine. And you like rolled your eyes and you were like, fine, put it on there for now. If that's what you're comfortable with. And I think our next meeting, you came back and you were like, I'm not letting you put that on your website. You need to put higher prices on your website. <laughs> And I did. And then I was the one rolling my eyes like, fine, I'll like put the prices on there that nobody's going to buy. And they did. I think people wanted an option of, I know I don't need somebody every single month. I have a few questions and I just want to sit down and run through them with somebody. The one hour sessions, which are 500 now, those are much more like onesie twosie questions or help me figure out my estimated taxes. They're kind of easy questions. They're probably things that, I don't know, you could get sucked into giving away in your discovery call. But what happens to my strategy sessions is those are turn into discovery calls. And it's almost like I'm having a discovery call that somebody's paying me $500 for. And that thought never came into my mind that that's what it would turn into. And they almost are like a jumping off point for like a future relationship. It's been really interesting. It's been really, and it's been educating for me to see what people come in and ask questions about. Now I do the bigger strategy session for three to four hours. People will come in and say, 
I'm lost. Everything's a mess. I don't know where my business is going. I don't know why I didn't pay myself last year. I know I made money. I think I made money, but I didn't actually pay myself and I'm not sure where the money went. And so that turns into much more of a full-blown forward-looking plan of for the next 12 months, let's us, let us work together for the next four hours and we're going to build out your 12 month plan. And here's what revenue is going to look like based on what we both know about your business. And here's what expenses are going to look like. And here's how you pay yourself consistently. And here's how you pay your taxes consistently and setting up this whole plan of their roadmap for the next 12 months of money in their business. And I had actually did one of these last week the woman looked at me, we're doing it over Zoom, and she looks at me and she's like, it's like somebody just turned on the lights. And it was the best compliment I could have gotten because I was just building out an Excel spreadsheet. And this just meant the world to her. This was, she would say that this was the hope in her business that she hadn't felt in a while. It, it was. And and she she knew she needed that going into that meeting. Like I never had to sell her on a strategy session. I think she, she was a referral from somebody who she was talking about how much of a confusion she had over her business. And somebody else had known me actually through Instagram and said, you need to talk to Erica. And she, there was no sales pitch. She was like, sign me up. When can we meet? I'm ready. Let's do it tomorrow. We worked together. That strategy session then wasn't, I didn't even expect. You would laugh, Geraldine. <laughs> we went through this whole strategy session. She's like, well, how can we keep working together monthly? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? This is just a strategy session. <laughs> and she was like, well, I want you to, I want, can I sign you on for like next month to like start this monthly? And I was like, oh, like I was so focused on helping her and like so excited to be doing what we were doing. It never occurred to me to like continue the conversation about how we could keep working together. And so she sold herself. I want, I signed her on as a client last week and <laughs> I laughed about it because I told, I, I'm a little dense, I guess, that I never thought about like step two of how working with her could continue on. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, it never occurred to me. I was just so excited to help her in the strategy session. <laughs> well, I love the strategy session and the sort of a half day workshop because it's such a nice lead in for somebody to get the experience of working with you, see what it's like, what kind of value they get. Are you easy to talk to? Do you explain things in a way that they understand without them having to take on the what I think are enormous switching costs of switching from one accountant to another accountant when you don't really even know if you're going to like that other accountant. So what I love about the strategy session and half day workshop and there are other things, you know, small ish, one off things we can put in a product ladder for a CPA is that it gives that prospect a taste of working with you and so often leads to converting into a long term client. But I want to know about how many strategy sessions and half-day workshops do you sell or how many do people buy a month on average? So last month was probably the first time I started getting traction. It's probably between two to four. And I would guess that that's going to be seasonal depending on what's going on through a business owner's mind. I just started, I went on Instagram as a brand new business profile in September, just started putting out like helpful things, giving away some free, some free value that you could Google on your own, but instead you have me telling you that it's the right thing. I had been doing that for probably two, two and a half months. And then it was the week before Thanksgiving. And every business owner in America on Instagram started thinking about money in their business. And my DMs just blew up all of a sudden. And I think, so I think there's a seasonality of like, 
making people aware what you do and who you are. And when they're ready, they know where to come. Yeah, because people aren't necessarily ready to buy the moment they first hear about you, but they need to hear about you a few times. And then the moment they are ready, you want to be the first person that they think of. They're like, oh, where's that Erica person? She's in my feed somewhere. So I want to ask you about pricing because <laughs> you're, you're not the first person who I've probably given a loving eye roll to about, come on, we need to raise your prices. So what's been your experience with just how much people will invest in working with you? What's been surprising? What hasn't been surprising? What's that experience been like? I'm surprised about the strategy session probably surprised me the most just pricing those those run 500 to 1200 and the fact that somebody's willing to pay that was shocking to me but I think they find so much value in it because they're not somebody in my in my target market that already is working with somebody and so it's not a huge you know they're they're starting at zero and so they're willing to invest that amount during the year I think on the monthly prices it just gave me my own boundaries that I hadn't had yet. Like as opposed to trying to work with everybody and finding the right price for them, I was anchoring it on the price I was willing to do the work for. And A, people are willing to pay it because I think once you've built that no like and trust factor with yourself, if you're the person they want to work with, then they're going to ask what your price is, not go find the cheaper option. And then the other part I've, that I've really valued is that it's an easy out when I can see the not ideal client. For example, I had a guy doing some work on my house here and he was actually helping me build out my office. And he was like, well, what kind of work do you do? And I was like, oh, here it goes. <laughs> and I said, well, I do small, I do small business accounting and his eyes got really big. And I was like, oh, crap, I don't, I, you're not my ideal client. <laughs> and he, he looked at me and his eyes got really big and he goes, oh, how much, I need that. How much do you charge for that? And I was like, oh, this is so easy because I know in my geographic area and the type of business he is, this is gonna, this is gonna be outpriced for him. And very confidently I said, well, my prices on a monthly basis start at $800 a month. And then we stopped talking and both of those, <laughs> my problem was solved that I was confident in my price and I didn't have to somehow finagle around an unideal client. Not that he wasn't a lovely man. He was just home remodeling construction is not my niche. Yeah. Just not a client who you wanted to take on for your business, which is totally fine. And there's no need to twist yourself into a pretzel and make it socially awkward and be like, I really like you, but you're not a great, I, what do you say? So, which is where I've been in the past. Right. Like I've, I've done that dance before. And it's, you, then you get all these like clients where I'm like, oh, now I have the guy who tiles as a client <laughs> and I don't want the guy who tiles as a client. Yes. Yes. Yay, keeps new clients. Yes, keeps you out of the awkward. <laughs> yes. Now you've got five recurring clients and a handful of one-time clients, um, sort of getting in the groove of how things feel, how things work. You're out on your own. You're established. It's working. Two years ago, would you have thought that where you are now is possible? I would have hoped, but I had no idea how to get there. And I probably would have had the same clients for half the price Oh. at most. I think I just would have underpriced and I would have undervalued myself so much along the way on my own without somebody like you encouraging me and helping me price and telling me I wasn't doing something bad by charging XYZ. Here's what I would have had 
two years ago, I would have had more clients. They wouldn't have been ideal clients and they would have been paying me less. I think that's what I would have done on my own without solid coaching behind it. Yeah. You kind of get the default, like whatever comes to you and you're not sure how valuable it is. You're not sure how to price it. And you end up with something that's like, uh, don't quite love it. Right. And now I'm so confident in, like I've done all of the legwork of saying to myself, this is who I'm serving. This is who is ideal. And like just saying that out loud and defining that just makes it so much easier to say no when not ideal comes along. So last question here. Now that you've made it to where you are now, where are you going to be in two years? What's next? What's the vision? Isn't that ironic? (laughs) Come on, you specialize in forecasting. So I think my struggle is not that I can't forecast what I could do. I think so much for me is about keeping balance in my life. Um, All the time building, building this business has been very much avoiding burnout, actively avoid, like having experienced burnout and having the, uh, and I don't say this lightly, the PTSD of bad careers in the past and overworked lifestyles in the past. My priority is not a dollar value right now. And that makes, that makes me, given the expertise, really uncomfortable to not have a dollar value that I'm aiming towards. What I'm aiming towards are is good pricing, a 20-hour work week, and clients that I cannot wait to get onto the Zoom with. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and I also love that the goal isn't necessarily revenue, because I talk to a lot of people for whom the goal is not revenue. The goal is now time. Right. Time is now the more important commodity because you don't get to make any more. You can always make more money. And we've seen with the pandemic, you know, just how much burnout there is that's available for the taking if we want it. And to not go there requires, as you say, actively avoiding it. It's a weird position to be in for somebody who is really good at forecasting money and forecasting revenue and building out revenue lines, because I know that I could strategically plan a way to get to a million dollars in X number of years. And I, and if I put the path out there, I will go do it. And I don't want to go do that because I think I know the stress and level of involvement that takes to get to the, down that path. And so I'm not sure what my path looks like right now, but I know it's going to be a lot of uh, baking and hiking and playing with my kids and enjoying my clients. Awesome. We love that. Erica Goody, it's always great to have you on. Thank you for coming back on the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Thanks for having me. When you're really good at what you do, it is easy to undervalue it. And when you undervalue what you do, chances are good you underprice it. And when you underprice, you have to work harder to make up the difference. If this might be you, stop what you're doing and head over to shethinksbigcoaching.com to subscribe to my daily drip of business strategy for CPAs. You'll get one easily digestible tip a day on how to position your business, how to price your services, and how to sell outcomes so that you can be more profitable and get your time back, and how to get off the tax hamster wheel for once and for all. That URL again is shethinksbigcoaching.com. All right, that's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? 
In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.